Hebrews 13, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. 1 Peter 5 And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Wayne, if you want to come bring the message this morning. Well, good morning again, everybody. We're going to focus around the theme of um, honour your leaders this morning. Not something we, we touch on very regularly. Uh, but I want to begin this conversation about honouring leaders with this inv- reminding us all again of this invitation that God's given us to come up here. It's this invitation to, to come and to gaze on him and to be focused on him. And... In thinking about that this morning and how to communicate that, I wanted to um, share with you just a couple of thoughts that um, from a book I read recently. It's called A War of Loves, and the author is David Bennett. How many of you have read this book? Okay, this is well, I've read it, so here I'm going to share a little bit too. I do encourage you to read this book. Um, it, the subtitle of the book, and David grew up in Sydney, Australia, and this is some other Sydney you're aware of. Um, uh, A War of Love by David Bennett the subtitle is The Unexpected Story of a Gay Activist Discovering Jesus it really is quite a remarkable story and in chapter 14 which is titled Living Under God's Word David shares the moment when the Holy Spirit convicted him that he needed to trust God's authoritative words and what he was what he came to realize and understand is that even though he'd had an encounter with Jesus, up until that point, he had not been fully submitted to the words of Scripture, but was actually holding himself over Scripture uh, and in sitting in judgment over God's word rather than valuing the preciousness of the word of God and bringing himself under that. And it was a turning point in his life journey. And he wrote these words. He says, I, I had never been willing to submit to it. But I could no longer, and I realized I could no longer claim to love Jesus without really knowing his words and choosing to live according to them. 
It's important to understand that. I could no longer claim to love Jesus without really knowing his words and, and also choosing to live according to them. And in his book, he's got a couple of excellent quotes, one by John Stott on this theme. John, John Stott has gone to be with the Lord. And for those people that don't know who John was, he was a, a British uh, pastor, wrote extensive books, a well-respected leader in the body of Christ. And John, in one of his books, wrote, If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it an echo of our own thoughts and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed he will not speak to us and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the word of God to confront us, disturb our security, to undermine our complacency and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behaviour. It's what Stott wrote. It's confronting when we think of it, isn't it? This thing of, like, if I can, I can come to the Bible looking for it to, to agree with what I've already decided. That's basically what he's saying. Or I can come to the Bible with a, with a willingness to, to go, oh, I don't like that. It doesn't agree with my prejudices, with what I want to do, and therefore I have to wrestle my heart. And it disturbs my complacency. And it overthrows the patterns of thinking and behaviour. There's a great need of this throughout the global church, is my conviction. David Bennett gives another quote by a man called Wesley Hill who says, The Christian story proclaims that all the demands of scripture are ultimately summons. They're calls, they're invitations, beckoning us to experience true, beautiful and good. I thought it was a fantastic way to put it myself. So listen, so the Christian story proclaims that all the demands of Scripture, they're ultimately these summons, they're, they're invitations, uh, beckoning us to experience true beauty and goodness. And that was part of the reason why I wanted to share the story this morning with you about having my ear pierced, because that's been my reality for nearly 59 years. I haven't been following Christ 59 years, but since I was nine years old, so let's say 50 years, is that the, the journey of learning and discovering that all the demands in Scripture, they are these invitations to something that's beautiful and true and good. So I want to say to you this morning that this invitation, come up here, actually begins with the decision first to live under the word of God and let the word of God judge me and evaluate me rather than hold myself above the word of God and demand that God prove himself to me and demand that he answers all of my questions and demands. As Stott said, we must allow the word of God to confront us, disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behaviour. And in doing that is that invitation to come up here so that the result is that we stand in awe before God. We fall face down and worship. We join the songs around God's eternal throne that we read in the book of Revelation. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour and power. Blessing 
And honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Oh, my heart is that we, we will continue to grow as a people who come up here by actually coming under the word of God and letting his word transform us from the inside out. And that applies, leaders, we lead by example in this. Now, first thing I want to say about leadership this morning, or the second thing really, because that's all about leadership, but the second thing is that leaders are easy targets. And uh, if any of you are Gary Larson, Farside comic fans, you probably have seen this comic before, where uh, one uh, deer is saying to the other deer, that's a bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And the thing that I've learned about leadership is that um, you do, you have a target on your back and your front, you're just, you're just a target for a whole range of things. And um, often people will use you as target practice because you're God's local, as a pastor, you're God's local customer area representative. I'll put it that, that way, you know. So... They'll pay, people pay out on me and not just me but some of the pastors and the team and sometimes the board and the overseers as well because we're easy targets. I want to just encourage you and remind you that leaders are, uh, leadership's complex. It's complex uh, and in the uh, 40 years that I've been uh, practicing Christian leadership, uh, it's become more complex the thing is, if it was easy to do, everybody would do it, wouldn't they? Isn't that what we say about everything? You know, leadership is complex. If, if it was easy, everybody would do it. But leaders are flawed people, and we need to embrace that reality. Leaders everywhere are flawed. And people get, we, we often get hooked because we, we can look to a human for something that only God can give us or only Jesus, the ultimate human, if you like, the God-man, can give us. And so we put our trust and we, we can see people, um, they, can get, they can put all their trust behind the Prime Minister. We've got a new Prime Minister. A whole new day's dawned and all that. And we forget that we've got a flawed Prime Minister. Or we, we get a Premier, new Premier, or the old, or the, the newly re-elected one with a landslide, and we go, oh, it's a brand new day. But he's a flawed man as well. And if we're not looking and got our hope higher than a prime minister, higher than a premier, than a president, a king, whatever, whatever the, whatever we think, if we, if our ultimate hope is not that there is a perfect leader, his name is Jesus, who is leading in triumphal procession, working out all of God's purposes, and I trust in his leadership. So I'm less disappointed. Yes, I've got high hopes for you know, our Premier and our Prime Minister and other people, but I'm less disappointed because I, my ultimate hope is not in them because they cannot bring about the kingdom of God, only the king Jesus can bring about the kingdom of God that my heart longs for and I know your heart longs for as well. And the same is true for our pastoral team. I'm only speaking for myself, but I'm pretty confident that if I had Julie, Jason and Nathan up here, they would say, 
they'd put their hand up and say, yes, I'm a flawed human. And so would their spouses. But we're all, so you see, we're all holding this together. Our board members are flawed people. Our overseers are flawed people. Our youth workers are flawed people. If we're looking for them for something they cannot give us, they will, you'll continually be disappointed. But if you're looking for what they can give within the constraints of who they are as a person, as well as the, the, the system that we all function in, we're less disappointed. One of the other things I've learned about leaders is that leaders are opposed and betrayed. Sometimes you're nearest and dearest. I mean, you only got to look at Jesus to, see, to work that out, don't you? And we look at Jesus' capacity to love Judas. And if you ever read John 13, which I hope you will do, especially those of you that are coming to Watchmen tomorrow night, um, you'll see the betrayal and you think, what was it like for Jesus in that moment, washing Judas' feet, knowing that in a very short period of time he would be leaving the room to go and betray him. And yet no one in the room realized that. Jesus' love was relentless for Judas, just as it was for all of the other disciples. Uh, we look at Paul, read, read 2 Corinthians, if you, if you want an example of Paul. It's a letter where he's having, he's, he's given birth to this church in Corinth and now he's having to defend himself. He's no longer in Corinth, but he's having to defend himself to them. And so his, the whole of 2 Corinthians is a letter defending his leadership because people have come along and said all sorts of things about him and said, hey, he's not that flash. We're the super apostles. Paul's just an ordinary apostle. We're the super ones. And Paul has to defend this and people are betraying him. You read his letters about people deserting him and all these kind of things. But he keeps steadfast on following Christ because his ultimate hope is in Christ and the kingdom of God. And that's what he's there to proclaim. So if you're a leader, don't be surprised if you get opposed and betrayed by people. It doesn't matter what sphere of leadership. It can be in the church and can be outside the church. Don't be surprised. And don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart against people that betray you and people that oppose you. Practice Sermon on the Mount. Follow Jesus' example, people. Because leaders feel pain like everyone else when they're attacked. They bleed like everybody else when it gets stabbed in the back. And Christian leadership is complex. Like I said, leaders are flawed. Leaders get opposed and betrayed and leaders feel pain like everybody else. But in the church, there's meant to be something different and it's meant to be this two-way street of what we read this morning. The instructions that are given to followers, if you like, in Hebrews 13, to remember your leaders. Think about all the good that's come from their lives and follow their example of faith because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today. You can see how the writer of Hebrews anchors obedience to leadership in who Jesus is. And then the flip side of that from 1 Peter 5, 1 to 6, that uh, that overseers that will watch over willingly, not grudgingly, understanding that we have to take care of the sheep because that we're the under-shepherds under the great shepherd. We've got to give an account. So there's this mutuality, there's this two-way dynamic that's meant to be a play. So again, the church is meant to show something totally different to the rest of our culture about the interaction between leaders and followers. 
We're meant to show something different. And we have pursued that. New Life will be 25 in June. We've pursued that in New Life for 25 years. I've, I've not sought to be a leader who exerts my authority over people. But to walk in humility before you. Now there's lots of places we could go to in the scriptures to look at what, what kind of things we should be looking for in Christian leadership. And um, I've, I've put five. We've worked on these and some of you have seen them before. Uh, the five pillars, if you like, five essential pillars of Christian leadership. The character of the leader, the competency of the leader, the chemistry they bring to the team context, the courage they need to have and the sense of calling. And you need these five pillars, if you like, to hold the structure up of leaders. That's what I'm saying. Leadership is complex. And in the church, there's this calling that's on leaders. It's not just about can you get the job done. The first pillar is the pillar of character. There are plenty of people that can get the job done. But as in the church, the first thing we are looking for is the character of Christ. Is Christ being formed in this person? Is their life obviously one of a disciple who's being transformed to be like Jesus? That's the first thing we ask for. And we evaluate people for when we're bringing them into positions like pastoral team, like board, like overseers and our youth workers. We're first of all asking the character question. Again, we're not looking for perfection because there isn't a perfect one other than Jesus. But we're looking for what's the direction, what's the trajectory of their lives. And so you need some kind of relational context to see that. You can't just make an evaluation based on one conversation. You have to see this, and this is what you find throughout the scriptures. So first of all, it's character, and then it's the competency. Have they got the skills that we need for this particular role within the body of Christ? So there's plenty of people that falter at the first hurdle. They falter at the character hurdle. We go, oh boy, their life needs to be more transformed to be like Jesus before they can exercise leadership within the body of Christ. So we don't write them off, but we just continue to pray. Say, Lord, transform them, make them more like Jesus. We'll get in their orbit. We'll begin to see if we can't move some of those roadblocks in their character out of the way by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're looking, like I said, at the competency issue. Of what, have they got the skills that are needed for this role? And there's a broad range of those that are involved in different roles, but that's overall. Then we're looking at the chemistry. What kind of person are they? You know, are they someone you enjoy being around? If you bring them into a team context, or if you're putting them in charge of a team, you want them to be someone whose people are happy to be around, don't you? That's the kind of chemistry. In other words... You know, if they're brittle around the edges, you know, if they keep rubbing people up the wrong way, it's like, well, no, this is not how it works in the body of Christ. You have to have relational skills because we're in relationship with a relational God who loves, who opens his heart, who moves towards people. If you're angry and defensive as a leader all the time, no one wants to follow you. 
So we look at that chemistry. What's the chemistry that they bring? And how do they deal with conflict is a really important thing. Like when you have a conflict with them, what happens? Do they take their bat and ball and go home? Do they stamp their feet and stomp around and throw things at people? And you know, How do they handle conflict? Or do they come and sit and say, hey, we're on opposite sides of this, uh, let's talk about it. How do they handle conflicts? A key thing in the chemistry area. And then courage. Leaders got to do things. We might go to that next tree slide because these five C's all, they're actually tall trees and they, 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 you need to look for people who are carrying these things. They're all grown, everyone's at different stages in this. And you would hope that someone older like me is a bit more mature than some of the younger leaders in this. But it doesn't necessarily go with that. Just because someone's older doesn't mean they've got more maturity than some others. They ought to if they've been following Christ longer. But it doesn't always go with the territory. Sadly, there are quite immature Christians who are older, who are insecure, who have not dealt with character and identity issues. And so they lead out of their insecurity of holding tightly to things because they're afraid of losing their power and influence and in the process they crush the people around them and they suffocate them. That's not how it's supposed to be with us. So courage is this thing of being able to do what needs to be done but doing it in a way. So when there needs to be a word of correction, that you're able to bring that word of correction to someone in as best way as you can not to damage them. Or there's a courageous decision that needs to be made as a team. And you, and you wrestle through it as a team. And this, often, this does happen regularly in board meetings. We wrestle through things as a team. And what even in that wrestling process is the things that get engaged in our own hearts and our own fears can rise to the surface of why we should or shouldn't do something. And we have to navigate, well, is this my fear or is this actually something that God is calling us to step into? And when we come to that place as a team, especially in the overseers and the board, we move forward with the confidence, having wrestled with it and saying, this is what we are convinced God has called us to do and we will step into it and we understand that we're going to take some heat for it. But that's okay. We'll take the time, we'll patiently explain to people the reasons for our decisions, we'll bring them into the why as much as we're able to, all those kind of things. When the heat goes on, on the leadership team, you quickly find out where the fractures are, don't you? Who do you think leaks internal cabinet documents from the Premier and the Prime Minister? Oh, like that's not good. That's a lack of character. There's a character issue there, right there. Anyway, we won't, we're not talking about them. We're talking about in the body of Christ. Courage. And then we need this sense of calling that actually I'm, I'm in this leadership role and have accepted these responsibilities and the accountability that comes with it because this is actually something from the Lord. And that's been affirmed by the people around about me. And that's a key thing. No one, and including Jesus, incidentally, ever 
stepped into a position of leadership without that being confirmed by people around about them in different ways. That's a longer story for in the terms of Jesus, but it's always how God works. We're always looking for the confirmation of people around about that, yes, this person is. This person is appropriate for this choice. And the crucial issue for every Christian leader is obedience to God and the fact that God forms us over our lifetime. We're always an incomplete process. And and as leaders, I can tell you that we feel this intensely. We feel our imperfections intensely. We know that we are not fully formed. We know that we are flawed. We know we're trying to do the best that we can. And we've set our hearts to obey God. But we're understanding that we're in this process of that God does. And you steer through the scriptures where God shapes leaders over their lifetime. You don't ever get to be the finished product and go, wow, now God's got the perfect leader. There isn't one except for Jesus, as I keep coming back to. Right. And we know how people treated Jesus. Right. Uh, So. It's this understanding, oh, they're in process. So again, the question when you're looking at Christian leaders is, how's the process going and are they submitted? Do I see evidence of them submitted to God's process of forming Christ in them? Because if I see that happening in them, then I can be confident about following their leadership because I know they're submitted to God first and foremost. Because leaders are meant to influence God's people towards God's purposes. Now Paul gives a whole list of instructions in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and he gives it in Titus as well about these things, about what, what kind of, there's lists in there that we could go through and these are available f- uh, for you to read at your own leisure. But ultimately I think he's, he's, he boils it down to the thing that a Christian leader should be obviously following Christ. That's that's the kind of no-brainer. No Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it should be someone that go, well, yes, they're clearly following Christ. And they're clearly able to influence other people in terms of what God wants them to do. There shouldn't be any obvious glaring things that leap out as like that disqualifies someone for leadership who is in a position of leadership. If there are those things then that's a different conversation that needs to be had altogether. One of the key things I want to bring, come back to is uh, to do with character. And it's the essential thing of ordering your private world. Uh, Gordon MacDonald uh, wrote an excellent book that was formative in my life when I was younger called exactly that, Ordering Your Private World. And it was, a, it was like a workbook of how to do the work inside to bring your life into order, how to bring order into your life. Because one of the key things that uh, God says, uh, and we find this in 1 Samuel 16, when, when God tells Samuel, I've, I've, I've now done with Saul as king. Saul has disqualified him as king because of his disobedience. And I've chosen someone else. So he says to Samuel, stop mourning about Saul. I'm way past Saul. I've given him many opportunities to repent. He's failed every test. I'm going, I'm proceeding. He says, I want you to go. 1 Samuel 16, he says, go to, go to Bethlehem, go to the house, find Jesse. I've chosen one of his seven sons. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we, we find this defining passage about leadership. When the first of 
uh, Jesse's seven sons, stands before Samuel. And Samuel looks at him and goes, man, this guy's obviously the full package. He's tall. He's handsome. He's, he's strong. He's clearly the one that God will want to be the next king of the nation of Israel. And what does God say? As you know the story, he says, Samuel, I'm not looking at what's going on on the outside. I'm looking at what's going on on the inside. People look at the externals, but I look at the internal. And so this idea of leaders having to have order in their private world, order in their interior life is so crucial. And Gordon MacDonald's book is an excellent book and I highly recommend it to you uh, because there's so much disorder and in fact the culture uh, of the church has moved towards uh, a performance culture and, it's, and I've seen this have played out in many situations where someone's good on the platform and everyone, and it's like, yay, look at this. You know, they're great. They're great on the platform and their private world is a disaster. And Paul explicitly says that in those lists of instructions. It's like you cannot put a person in Christian leadership whose private world uh, and their household, their family life is a disaster. How on earth will, can they, can they, will people trust them to govern the house of God, the family of God? If they can't govern their own family. You just don't do that. And I've seen churches compromise on that. And it's brought disaster every time. Because that disaster that was happening in the household has been brought then into the leadership context. And it's spread through the church. So the question is, how's your private world, everybody? Now, this is an important question, not just for leaders. This doesn't apply just to leaders. It applies for all of us. How's your private world going? Is it ordered? Is your life in order? Have you got a regular schedule with Jesus every day? Where you're in the Word and you're praying and you're reading the Scriptures? Even simple things like, and Gordon talks about this in his book, do you keep your bedroom tidy? Do you keep your bed made? If you've got a car, do you keep your car clean? Or is it, is it a rubbish tip? Do you drive around in a rubbish tip? With all this rubbish riding in there. Now, I know some of you are like, well, look, I'm having a bad week, Wayne. It's like it's really stressful. My bedroom's normally in like, okay, I get all that. So, but it's just like simple things. How can you hope to change the world? I listened to these adverts on 98.5 about come and study at our Bible college. We, paint, we, change, we train people to change the world. It's like, great, I love that. Do they make their bed? They keep their room tidy? They pay their bills on time? These are the, this is the, where the rubber hits the road. If you're not doing these things, how can you lead the church of God? I think I've probably laboured that enough, haven't I? You got that one? You can see I'm big on it. The reason I'm big on it is because it's gone missing. And we have to capture it back. Look, we've got some young men sitting in the front row... And young women, not too far behind them as well. One of the things the scripture says, 1 Timothy 3, Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, they desire an honourable position. I want to encourage you, young men, young women, aspire to become a board member, an overseer, 
a pastoral team member. Just inspire to it. But say, God, raise me up to be that. To be someone who can be a pillar in the house of the Lord, can lead your people, right? Aspire to it. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Paul said that to Timothy as well in one of his letters. Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus. It was a tough gig. He said, Timothy, you're young. He's a bit older than some of you in the front row, but he's like, don't let anyone look down on you, but show yourself in his example. Many of you know that verse, the rest of that verse. But that should apply even to the older ones amongst us. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. But show yourself to be an example of Christ in everything you do and everything you say. So we need these things. We need these five C's, as we've called it. Character, competency, chemistry, courage, and calling. And here I want to land this morning with this. I want to ask you this question. How are you honouring your leaders? Uh, There's many references in the scripture we could look at about honouring people in scriptures. We're told to honour kings, emperors. Slaves are told to honour their masters. We're told to honour our parents. We're told to honour the elderly amongst us as senior citizens. There's a long list. So let's think about this. You evaluate you. I'm not evaluating you. You evaluate you. How are you honouring the Prime Minister? How are you honouring the Premier? Think about your work context. How are you honouring your whatever, the the person, the people above you, supervisors, managers, CEOs, how are you honouring them, those of you at school, university, how are you honouring your teachers, how are you honouring the principal of your school and in the church, how are you honouring your pastors, your board members, your overseers, who you know up close and personal, people from Asia and Africa and the Middle East, it's been my experience They are far better at honouring people than Westerners are. Aussies, we're just, we're so committed to not having a tall poppy amongst us. We'll cut them down just because they've grown. We'll make sure we bring them down to our level. Make no mistake about that. Not because they're and I'm not talking about just because they're people, I'm talking about people who have risen, not, not because they're, they're people who are lording it over us, but just that's just our mindset in Australia. And I'm saying we need to bring our mindset, our Aussie mindset and mateship under the lordship of Jesus. I'm coming back to how I began with submission to the word of God and to say, hang on a minute. God calls me to honour these men and women in authority over me. Oh, I don't want to do that, but I've got to wrestle my heart to do that. I've got to do that. I've got to make a way. I'll tell you a story. There's an older gentleman I know, and I'm going to choose not to mention his name because it's going out all over the world. There's an older gentleman. He's a retired pastor. 
he still does occasional preaching in his local uh, congregation, which is a Caucasian congregation. And he also gets regular invites to preach at a Chinese church. And in the Chinese church, he just has a much better time because they honour him, they appreciate him and they demonstrate that to him. And in, his, in Caucasian churches, we just don't do that very well. And I'm not talking about like money. I'm not talking money. I'm talking about the attitudes that people have and the way the things that they, the way that go out, the way that the Chinese people go out of their way to honour him as a man of God. Let's love God and serve God his whole life. I'm just calling you up to this, people. I'm just saying, let's rise up to this. We can do this better. We can do it better. I'm not asking for something for myself. I'm asking, let's, let's learn to honour our leaders. Because it, I want you to see it as, this is, not, this is something God's inviting you into, remember? And it's like, when I, get, when I respond to God and when I obey God, what do I receive? Like the words that I read to you earlier from that quote from Wesley Hill, that the Christian story proclaims that all the demands of Scripture ultimately summons, calls, invitations, beckoning us to experience the true, the beautiful and the good. So what if honouring leaders is actually part of the way God wants to give you a greater experience of the beautiful and the good and the true in the world? I keep Think of it that way. Think of what am I... You see, when we say, oh, I don't have to obey that... We're putting ourselves over scripture rather than under scripture. And when we're also missing out, we're also forfeiting blessing that God wants to give us because there's blessing in obedience. The blessing isn't in disobedience. God opposes the proud and disobedience is a manifestation of pride. It's saying, I know better than you. And what does God do? God lavishes his grace on the humble. I want grace, people. I think you all do as well. We want his grace. I want you to experience the blessing of obedience. Study the scriptures again. Look at the way David honoured Saul while Saul was trying to kill him and pursuing him. Have a look at that one. Have a look at the way Daniel honoured Nebuchadnezzar. Even when Nebuchadnezzar was threatening to kill him, the way that he speaks... Even the way Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego or Azariah, Mishael and Hananiah, using their Hebrew names, how they speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Again, they're refusing to bow down and worship his statue. But look at the way that they speak, the tone of voice that they use and the respect that they show. All the way through scriptures. Look at the way Paul honours Caesar. He refuses to say Caesar is Lord, but he speaks and honours those in authority. Look at the way Jesus honours the Father. So, and just I'm encouraging you this morning, please set your heart to honour your leaders. When you agree with them and you think they're wonderful, you know, and you, you want to vote them in again and again and again, uh, and, it, and when you disagree with them, disagree with them but honour them at the same time it's possible to do those two things and the issue is in our hearts and so my question for us all today is is your heart alive to God that's really what this is about 
If your heart is alive to God, if your heart is a yes to God, if your heart is a submitted to God, and you're going, I'll walk in your ways, Lord. Your ways are higher. I don't always understand them, but I will live by them. And so, yes, I'll honour my boss at work, my supervisor, my man. I'll honour my teacher, my principal. I'll honour my pastors, my board, my overseers. I will honour the Prime Minister and the Premier. Let's pray together. Jesus, right now I'm thinking of the reality of what the scriptures say, that we have been bought with a price, that our lives are not our own. They belong to you, Jesus, because we have been redeemed, not with, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so my prayer for us all is that we will live in that reality. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives no longer belong to us ourselves we do not live for ourselves we live for you jesus so holy spirit breathe on this words these words that i've spoken this morning and all that's been said and done that we would be a people who show the world what it is to be leaders those of us who are leaders help us holy spirit to be leaders worthy of honor leaders whose hearts are fully submitted to you and help us as followers to be followers who honor our leaders because our hearts are fully submitted to you and we're trusting in your leadership Jesus and that you are the one who's leading all you're leading everything that's going on in the world towards your great purposes your great consummation of your return and so we're filled with hope about that Jesus and we say Maranatha Maranatha Jesus come Lord Jesus come Amen New Life Church I bless you in the name of God the Father Son and Spirit to be people who give thanks and live in the grace of God go forth into the world in peace be of good courage hold fast to that which is good Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour everyone. Love and serve the Lord. Rejoice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always.